0: and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast, where we review movies and TV from our nostalgic days and mock castings of shows or movies using current actors. Or we do castings of whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> like today, we are doing one of Excalibur, which is a great Marvel team. A reminder, this is a bi-weekly podcast, the bi-weekly that comes out every other week, not twice a week so make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on to make sure you don't miss out so without further ado I'm Adam
1: I'm John and I'm Casey from the movie Multiverse podcast
0: oh hello Casey thank you for joining us tell us a little about yourself
1: oh yes well thank you for having me Adam I am well a podcaster duh and I know John from from back in the day we we went to high school together we were we were on the drum line together oh you're a Milton man <laughs> yes exactly I <laughs> am Milton man indeed <laughs> I never thought about it then that way, but I like it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, we haven't had the chance to catch up on much in a while. And once we found out we were both in this sort of podcasting world, he reached out and uh, I thought this was a great opportunity that y'all extended to come on and and combine forces and, and do some discussion. So I'm excited to be a part of this.
2: So tell us a little bit about your podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. The Movie Multiverse. Uh, you know, it's crazy to think, but we're about to record our hundredth episode.
0: Wow. Congrats. Impressive.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we've been doing it a few years. It's not as consistent as a lot of podcasts. We do maybe every two, if not three weeks, and at times it's monthly. As great as weekly would be, sometimes schedules don't line up with being able to do that, Mm -hmm. Family Man and all that, but we do big beefy episodes, two, three, four hours even, if it's a big enough discussion, and we talk about shared comic book movie universes, basically, that's sort of what was was the conceit that we started in on. So obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Mm -hmm. DC Extended Universe, the Fox X-Men Universe, and we've sort of grown from there. General, you know, nerd genre things that uh, get adapted to the the big or small screen. You know, we do Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, Star Wars, uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, stuff like that. So uh, we just have a good time, and really, it's a way for me to keep up with my best friend Joel since we don't live in the same state anymore. And for those who enjoy hearing our thoughts and breakdowns, that's what it's there for. So Movie Multiverse, see it on iTunes or Movie Multiverse at WordPress.com.
0: Fantastic. Go listen. Go rate. And while you're rating them rate us because we need those two. So today we are doing a movie that you chose for us. Why don't you introduce us to what we're going to be talking about today?
1: You got it. I had been listening to you guys' episodes and was really enjoying what you guys were putting down. And it of course was bringing all these memories of things I loved from my childhood to the fore. And I love the more fantastical things. I love practical effects. I love you guys' talk about the never ending story. But also in that same realm, my mind started to turn to When live action mixes with animation. And in my opinion, the most quality example of that from our younger years was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I have a deep admiration for that movie, which, you know, we'll get further into, of course. And so that was one in the the list of suggestions I sent in. And clearly, y'all thought that was worth diving into as well. It's definitely one that
0: I think changed the face of what you could do Mm -hmm. in cinema for a little bit. I know they had had some mixed media like that before. You've seen things like Song of the South from way back also had had stuff like that. But here, it it really kind of took it to a new level where you're interacting with the cartoons. And I think it's a really important movie. So I'm very glad that that we are doing it.
1: Oh, me too. My goodness. And then the casting, Excalibur from Marvel, sort of in the X-Men family of books there in the 90s, is what we landed on. And that's a great one too. And I'm I'm pumped about it all. We got a great group of Good. content here today <laughs> to discuss. Yes, we do. Casey,
0: let's just have you on every time because
1: uh, you're doing a great job leading and hosting this podcast already. <laughs> Sorry, it's it's in my nature. I I, I certainly don't want to take the wheel from you.
0: No. Hey, I'll, I'll make it easy. I'll just sit back. <laughs> Uh, We got The Casey Show, and I am more than happy to oblige. (laughs) And for the TV review, it's going to be just me and John, and we're going to talk about the 90s Nicktoon show, Doug. I was definitely a big fan as a kid, which I think a lot of people were. Mm -hmm. But for now, let's go ahead and get going on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This is a movie that came out in 1988. It was produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by Robert Zemeckis, music by Alan Silvestri, the team that brought us Back to the Future, and a bunch of other things. Like, this is a a very powerful group of Hollywood people behind Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Our lead actor is Bob Hoskins, who you don't think of as a leading man, but he does a fantastic job in this film, being kind of that gruff, bum, alcoholic, private eye. Christopher Lloyd, playing a villain who is a fantastic villain. And Charles Fleischer is the voice of Roger Rabbit. And he's not someone who many people know. He's actually more of like a character actor, does very small bit parts. But his voice as Roger Rabbit is one that is just kind of rung in the ears of our generation since watching this film.
1: Absolutely. I mean, his voice is as iconic a cartoon voice to me as, as any other, you know, Bugs Bunny or whatever, just because it, it was such a big part of my childhood, I, I would watch this often, even though he was completely created for this project, obviously.
0: Exactly. And it's not like Charles Fleischer is a huge voice actor either, which I thought was pretty interesting. I was expecting it was going to be someone who we've probably either talked about before or someone who has had some other massive credits. And he's done plenty of things, but he's not like a, a big, big name in voice acting that I would have
1: no, no, and uh, when I saw him on IMDb, I was like, I I recognize that guy, but I think it really is more of what you were talking about. It's that just general character actor you've seen him here and there, just pop up type thing, but from no one thing in particular that I could really suss out.
0: So let's just dive into the movie. We start off with a full cartoon. This is a very Warner Brothersy style cartoon with a baby getting into trouble. Roger is the babysitter taking care of it. A whole bunch of antics happen. The, The baby's trying to get these cookies, knives are flying, fire's going, shit's going haywire. It's it's basically just like a regular old Warner Brothers cartoon. Sets up with, we're in this world of ridiculous cartooning, but what really sets it up is when we hear the word cut. (laughs) And then we dive into the mixed reality. We're diving into a human person. The director comes on set and we realize this is just kind of a stage show. It's not, we're just, we're not just watching another warner brothers style cartoon
2: and there's also a change in the visual aspect where you go from a very flat 2d to as soon as they open the refrigerator you can see the 3d change not only in the you know the refrigerator in the world around him but in roger himself in the way he's animated yeah there's a distinct like camera move
1: Well, and all the lighting you know starts to change you see those you know, those heavy shadows start to come into play and that's such a cle- clever concept that they set up off the bat in this is that hey you know those cartoons that You watch, you know, before your your features or whatever. Well, they're filmed on a set in this world because those are characters that are walking around just like anyone else. And it's like, oh, that's beautiful. I love that.
2: Yeah. I want to add in real quick just something about how they kind of created this. Speaking of, you know, speaking of lighting and shadows, when Zemeckis went to his lead animator, whose name I forget off the top of my head, you know, asking about things they could do. Typically, animation directors used to say that cameras couldn't move. The camera would stay and the characters would move. And when Zemeckis kind of asked them you know, well, why did they say that? The animation director was kind of like, well, just because directors are lazy. <laughs> he said, all right, well, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to do camera moves. You're going to have to animate around it. And so they had to do things in this movie that they'd never had to do before because of the way that Zemeckis wa- it wanted, he wanted it to look like a movie with characters in it, not like an animated, you know, flat 2D, kind of like, what's that movie? Oh, like Mary Poppins. And Mary Poppins, mm-hmm. uh, her and Dick Van Dyke have that sort of moment where they're interacting with the penguin and stuff like that, but it looks very flat. It doesn't look very, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't look like they're really interacting with these animated characters. So they had to kind of create a few things and they worked so hard. Just so you know how many animators they used, the credits list on this movie was the longest for any movie to date up until that point.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy.
2: It was the longest credit sequence ever of any movie up to that point. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there as was well, since we were talking about that sort of thing.
1: Well, yeah, I'm sure you watched some of the same, you know, sort of behind the scenes stuff that I did where they, they lay that kind of concept out and it's mind boggling the amount of work they put into this versus things that had done this same sort of animation meeting live action before. And yeah, exactly with the camera movements and having to line that all up, you know, like traditionally, you know, no computers involved and the the lighting boggles my mind, too, because, and, and I think YouTuber Captain Christian has this amazing video that breaks down some of their their stuff that they did in this movie that was kind of groundbreaking, and one of them was. It's almost as if they wanted to challenge themselves, and it pays off so much, because in the scene where they're they they they're coming into the, like, back room to the bar, they do a concept that animators have come to call bumping the light. That is swinging. The, the light, uh, you know, in the room, you know, just hanging from a cord is swinging the entire scene scene and so they're constantly having to change the lighting and shadow method that's laying on top of roger during that whole scene And it's like they didn't need to do that but they did it intentionally just to go hey look what we can do aren't we badass you know and it's it really pays off through the whole thing
0: it adds a lot of production value oh yeah you can tell uh so roger is an actor he is blowing all of his lines, and, and he's just fucking everything up because he's pretty distracted. Slide over to a shot of Bob Hoskins in Profile, and pretty much the first thing we hear is him uh, angrily talking about tunes. I can
1: give you a start. I'm
0: He is not a fan of tunes. He hates tunes. But he's got a great gruff voice for it. Bob Hoskins, love him. A lot of people might recognize him from, as Smee from Hook. That's probably probably yeah. the thing that I love him maybe most in. But yeah, Roger keeps fucking everything up. And it's because he's distracted. Having uh, He's worried that his wife is sleeping around on him or something. So Mr. Maroon, who is the owner of Maroon Cartoons, hires Bob Hoskins to investigate Jessica Rabbit. Uh, one thing that we kind of really learn right off the bat with Eddie Valiant is how much of an alcoholic he was. And this was something that I definitely didn't pick up on as a kid. And this is something that I think this movie does a great job and why I'm just going to go ahead and say already, it has strong rewatchability factor. And it's something that does hold up now is you pick up on little jokes and you pick up on things things like that that you may not have noticed as a kid, but actually add a lot of depth to the film. Like, just watching Eddie Valiant as a kid, you're like, okay, he's just a gruffish private eye. Rewatching it now, there's a lot more depth to him where you see how bad his life has become and how much he needs to eventually turn it around. So laying the groundwork of how much of an alcoholic he is has become and things like that, I think adds a lot of interesting factors to this film that you may not have realized when you watched it as a child.
1: Oh, I definitely agree. It, it, I remember this as one of my favorite movies, which is why I threw it out there. One of my favorite movies as a child and yet revisiting it has just completely flipped, you know, a lot of ways that I viewed it before. And now it's just one of my favorite movies overall. Like, like, it, there's so much quality and care in the the story and production value that I, w- I was just blown away. It really holds up.
0: Agreed. So, Valiant takes the case. He then leaves Maroon's office and he kind of walks around the offset and we see just ridiculous tune things happening. We're kind of, as an audience, really getting into this world of humans and tunes are interacting and just how kind of crazy it is to live with tunes around you. One thing that I thought was pretty interesting, I live in Los Angeles and there was just some jokes that I feel I got because I live in Los Angeles.
1: Well, and that's where my my co-host lives, Joel. He lives mm, in Los nice. Angeles.
0: Yeah. Well, obviously, we're going to conspire to make our own podcast and <laughs> leave you two. Leave me in the dust. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah.
1: What have I done? You
0: guys can talk about old high school days or some shit. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, exactly. How funny. <laughs> But Eddie obviously is having some money problems as well. He can't, he doesn't have cash for a bus. They're not going to take his check that he just got for the rabbit case. And so he hops on the back of the streetcar with some kids who are just kind of stealing a ride. And one thing that the kids ask is, don't you have a car, mister? And Valiant says, I live in Los Angeles. It has the best public transportation in the world. Who needs a car? And I'm like, <laughs> LA, for anyone who doesn't live here, it has shit public transportation. It is completely complete and utter awfulness and it's just obviously there's freeways everywhere which we'll come back to. Yeah, yeah. But it's an obvious shit joke of anyone who lives in Los Angeles to be like there are no there is no public transportation here. <laughs> no. That's a joke that I got right. that other people didn't. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you guys have seen the Steve Martin movie LA Story. No. Which actually. Oh, fantastic. Some I mean it's really is it's a movie the entire movie is made up of just inside jokes for for people who live and work around Los Angeles. There is a Time where he takes his car and he drives next door to him. Like he just gets in his <laughs> nice. car, drives next door, gets out. Like and that's to me, that's a perfect metaphor for what happens here. Everyone drives <laughs> everywhere, yeah. and you drive shittily everywhere. He's driving up on the sidewalk in a different scene, doing stuff to get around traffic. It's like, like
1: the opposite it, of New York.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a couple of those little jokes that I, watching it now and living in Los Angeles, I was just like, huh. Ah. I get that
1: yeah nice
0: <laughs> and another thing at the end of that scene when he hops off the bus he thanks the kids for the cigarettes which <laughs> I thought was <laughs> hilarious so obviously these I don't know 10 year old boys were giving him cigarettes to smoke which also kind of adds in that this movie really even though it's got cartoons and it's got a lot of those those aspects it's not a kids movie
1: no not really
0: I mean it's it really is much more of an adult movie yeah I mean
1: obviously we all watched it as kids but mm-hmm. I mean I think there was a different i don't know kind of scale a different standard there for a while as to what they could put into movies like this and i don't think it fucked me up i think it introduced me to a to a lot of concepts that i wasn't quite ready to tackle which is why revisiting it was so so beneficial but yeah they say you know they say about like pixar movies and stuff it's like oh you can enjoy it on so many levels they'll make jokes that adults only get Mm -hmm. but this is a whole nother level of that like they've got you know the sex and murder and 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 drugs overtones and all that kind of stuff.
0: It's fantastic. I love all those things. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Valiant then goes to basically his home base bar. We find out from context that really Valiant is a bum and an alcoholic and he's got nothing going for him right now. And he's
1: a haunted man. He has demons. And that's not something I nearly picked up on as much when, when I was younger. And it also plays into, I don't know, like a prejudice against tunes, like, which is a weird social commentary thing that, that is sort of a new aspect that I'm viewing it with.
0: Uh, yeah, he really Really hates tunes. Get this straight, mean ball.
2: I don't work for tunes. So, what's his problem? Toon killed his brother, dropped the piano on his head
0: yeah exactly those demons that you didn't understand but what they do here is they have dark humor that i didn't really pick up on as much as a kid they say yeah toon killed his brother dropped a piano on his head <laughs> and that might be, exactly i had the exact same response watching it i was just like oh man amazing oh, that's
1: funny yeah, yeah, yeah. as a
0: kid you may not get that now it's funny that's dark humor and i like it of course
1: that's how a toon would kill a human being yes. right it's great
0: yeah he then goes down to a piano bar so he can start checking out who this Jessica Rabbit is and so he can start doing his PI work. And we have something that I love that this movie does and we don't get enough of, and we probably won't anymore just because of licensing is we get Donald Duck and Daffy Duck doing a piano battle.
1: I've worked with a lot of wise quackers, but you are despicable. Don't, don't, nigga. I'm it. The last time I work
2: with someone with a speech impediment
0: You don't get those two different worlds of Disney and Warner Brothers merging anymore. They're all owned by different people and you have to pay so much money to make that happen that it's really tough.
1: I think it'd be like impossible these days. Like I mean you know we are in an era where some studios are starting to play nice in certain ways when it benefits both parties but from what I was seeing it was also a nightmare then and I can imagine because they were bringing together all of these yeah heavily trademarked you know and iconic characters in the same scenes and from my research I, I found it very interesting that they struck up certain deals where they were really only okay with it in a lot of instances with the more high-profile characters if they shared equal screen time, mm. um, and that's why you see Bugs and Mickey during that yeah. scene, and that's why you see Donald and Daffy during the piano scene, and and you know you'll see a certain balance if you pay attention to that kind of thing during it because they didn't want to just be the 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 footnote to the other characters from that other studio in there, but yeah, that's that pretty fascinating, and I mean the Disney ones they kind of had in-house because this this. Was, you know amblin was involved which was you know sort of an, a, a disney thing yeah
2: and a lot of the reason that they were able to even make this deal was because spielberg was attached mm-hmm. he was the one who gave it clout enough for them to say okay we'll play ball for this one movie
1: and, and that's beautiful you know he just called people up and said hey we're doing this thing it'd be really great you know if we could use you know yosemite sam and daffy duck and
0: <laughs> it adds a lot of validity to to us as viewers, knowing that, okay, this is the Toon Town where everybody films all of the tunes, We want to see all of those characters together. And so having them and not just being like a, only the Warner Brothers or only the Disney side, like getting them all together makes me as a viewer just believe that, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm more invested that toontown is a real thing for this film. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if they were knockoff versions, it wouldn't nearly have that impact.
0: Exactly. Agreed. So uh, we go back to the bar, some subtle humor that I thought was hilarious. And I never caught this joke before, just because even though it's, kind of right in front of your face was his scotch on the rocks joke. So he's ordering a scotch on the rocks and he says and I mean ice and even when he said that the first time I heard that I mean oh he just means a lot of ice and when they send him the scotch it's got a fucking rock in it. He knew that he was going to be getting a fucking scotch with a rock in it. Yeah
1: he expected it and they did it anyway I love that. Yes. So funny. Mm -hmm.
2: The funny thing is is that a scotch rock is actually a real thing. Oh yeah? Oh okay. Okay. Some people uh, would want cold scotch or whiskey. It doesn't dilute the whiskey. You freeze a rock and then put that in the in the whiskey. Oh. And that, okay. it keeps it from diluting the uh, the alcohol. Interesting.
0: I mean, we can talk about scotch for a <laughs> while because I like that it dilutes cuz it kind of changes the flavor over time and you kind of get in different tastes and different vibes. So I that's why I like ice in my scotch. I then at the beginning it's a nice cleaner flavor and then by the end you're kind of getting different flavors as as it kind of dilutes out. But anyway, that's my scotch talk. Uh, back to film.
2: <laughs> that's a different part podcast. Yeah, Scotch Talk with Adam. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So while he's checking out, or he's waiting for Jessica Rabbit to come on stage, we meet Mr. Acme, who owns Toontown, and that name Acme is synonymous with cartoons because he apparently makes every device and machine ever.
1: Yeah, that was super clever too, because for some reason, and I'd love to research it, but that became like the thing that you just put on a, yeah, uh, on an item in a cartoon, you know, just as the general manufacturer. All, they used it constantly in, you know, Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner, you
0: know. Yeah, and. We kind of we find out that he's a wacky kind of guy and we kind of see that through this scene where he squirts ink onto Eddie Valiant and obviously that's for most people, someone you just punch him right in the face if they did that. He's so pissed. <laughs> yeah, so I would be pissed too. Uh, but it's uh it's disappearing ink, as we find out. And so he's just obviously a wacky, very tunish kind of guy.
1: Quite eccentric
0: we see Betty Boop, which I think is kind of interesting because Betty Boop was a very sexualized cartoon character from her day, and then as Betty Boop is the waitress, out comes Jessica Rabbit, who is the new generation's super overly sexualized character.
1: Right. Yeah, it really made sense in a way, because in this world where, you know, there are, they do get a little more real with the character traits of Toons, you know, yeah, bringing in that controversial figure is like, oh, well, of course Betty Boop's here.
2: And I want to take this time to kind of bring up that they did get a lot of the original voice actors for most of these characters like mel Blanc. it was one of mel Blanc's last films the lady who voiced betty boop was the original voice from like 1939 that's awesome. It was also one of her last films uh, before she passed. So I think the only one who didn't have an original voice was uh, Yosemite Sam because by that point, Mel Blight couldn't get that that low rasp, So they had to get someone else to do it. Almost all of them were using their original voice actors for the cartoon voices, which adds credence to the validity of the movie.
1: Of course, yeah. And that who knows if that was just more, you know, Spielbergian stuff of well get those guys in. We gotta make it real. It's like oh, yes, Mr Spielberg, of course. <laughs> so Jessica Rabbit comes out. You had plenty
2: some other
0: man. and she's not a rabbit she is yeah a <laughs> stunning cartoon that all the guys are oogling that pretty much any teenage boy would f- <laughs> be, would fulfill their mental fantasy with her pretty much and she has these impossible proportions they are just ridiculous she's synonymous with over sexualization and like, oh, yeah, she's yeah. up there as a sexualized figure, as pretty much any other kind of cartoon I can think of it. Not even just cartoon, you know, any being or character in pop culture. When you think of overly sexualized, Jessica Rabbit is right up there.
1: Yeah. 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 And I feel like that's totally what they were going for, too, you know, because yeah. that fits into that noir thing of the, you know, drop dead gorgeous dame, you know, going into the, the, the private eyes office type thing. You know,
2: one of the jokes that was uh, ongoing with the animators was that because because of the way she was proportioned with her kind of impossibly tiny waist and huge, giant, you know, bosom, <laughs> was that if she was a real person, she would just constantly fall over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's something I found interesting because it's not something I would ever would have thought of, but they wanted her to seem otherworldly, so they did things when they animated her to make her seem, I don't know, different. And one of the things, I don't know why I found this interesting, they took the way... That a, a woman's breast would naturally bounce when she walked mm-hmm. and reversed it. Oh, okay. So when a woman's breast would naturally bounce down, they bounced hers up.
1: And it's funny because, yeah, she is more in the, you know, close to human, you know, side of things. And, you know, we, when she interacts with the other characters. So they wanted there to be more of that visual uh, separation. And so just that little physics flip, <laughs> it, you made all the difference. I thought that was super funny.
0: Yeah. It's funny for us. And it's very interesting for uh, Eddie Valiant because he's trying to take a peek at her he's also trying to do his job so he is kind of spying on her acme acme really likes it because he goes into her dress room valiant is trying to spy on them he gets thrown out by the gorilla guard valiant gets thrown out to where he's right outside her window luckily and so now he can snap some pictures of them doing some very sexual naughty things together (laughs) which we just all we we hear is them is these patty cake oh patty cake oh it's this is
1: when you hear it it's not Patty cake. You go, I don't think I, when you're a kid, you go, I don't, I don't actually think I should be watching this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we find out it is legitimate patty cake
0: in the next scene. Yeah.
1: So funny. Where
0: Valiant is, puts out, the, when he drops the pictures, uh, him and Maroon are telling Roger what happened. Roger's flipping through the pictures of them playing patty cake. I love that scene, that shot of him just kind of flipping through it and it's kind of becoming a motion picture within yeah, a motion picture. Like you
1: almost expect it to, to become, you know, more, more sexualized but nope, it's really just going through the motions for pancake. King.
0: (laughs) It's dual-layered comedy there, because it's, you're expecting it to be over-sexualized, and it's not, but then Roger takes it as super-sexualized, and so it's a whole other layer of comedy that they put in. And who knows if
1: that's a (laughs) tune thing, or if it's specific to Roger, but he is heartbroken.
0: (laughs) Yes, he is. Uh, And here we see Roger takes a sip of alcohol to calm his nerves, basically, and it does the exact opposite. He goes nuts with either whiskey or Alcohol really makes him basically explode and go crazy, and so he's running around the room in comic fashion. So he, there's a lot of slapstick humor that comes from Roger naturally, as it would uh, having a tune in the real world. Valiant then goes home. Here's where we start to really unravel some of the layers of Eddie Valiant, where we're seeing old pictures. Dolores might have been a part of his private eye firm with his brother, and you kind of just you you from his seeing his office and seeing his old pictures. You're really starting to get some of the depth of Eddie Valiant that you may not have paid attention to the scene because it's a slowish kind of scene and you're just kind of you have to be aware uh, as an adult now to see what was happening or what was kind of underneath Eddie in there and it really helps the character
1: yeah great character development through production design which I I'm I'm certain I didn't pick up on all of it yeah when I was younger but it's really good and then they're playing that great you know noir music over it
2: The kind of the jazz sound stuff was actually just someone put together a jazz band and they just improv'd over the scenes.
1: Shut up. That is awesome.
2: A lot of it is stuff that they would probably, they improved or they probably worked it out as they, you know, they did the scene and they're like, okay, no, let's do it again, but do this instead. Like, they did, nothing was written out for this. They just kind of improved it as they went. I
1: love that. Uh,
0: we find out that Marvin Acme is dead. We are all kind of right now assuming that it's probably Roger because he flipped out and seeing the patty cake pictures. Valiant takes the case, basically. He's, I don't think anyone's paying him right now, but he's just kind of invested in this case and so he wants to try and figure it out well
1: yeah at that point he's just he's in it you know he kind of yeah, can't yep. escape it yeah
2: the cop kind of brings him along as a witness because him and maroon were the last ones to see roger alive or to see roger so i think that's kind of why he brings him along so he's there but then he kind of like takes it upon himself to to move
0: through the case right
1: ooh, and, and ooh, can we t- talk about the detective just real quick because do you recognize that that actor that is the man who plays admiral moddy in the Death Star conference room scene from Star Wars oh. <laughs> yeah he's the guy that that, okay. that Darth Vader chokes oh. you know, nice uh, I find your lack of uh, faith disturbing you know yeah it's pretty great right
0: yeah I mean' not, not a big character but that's an like, iconic moment exactly uh, in in all of film really yeah so we get to the side of the crime we see another very comical, death from a tune where a safe is landed perfectly uh, in its corner on the ground where acme's head obviously would have been and it got squished and it's just just that dark humor at
1: least they made a compromise there because there's not blood everywhere as of course there would be Yes, yeah, so, yes yeah
0: so we're still on the crime scene they're wheeling out the body of acme that kind of gets a bump and it shakes loose the buzzer in his hand. And Valiant wants to sneakily grab it. And who catches him? But Judge Doom. Great name for this (laughs) judge. (laughs) That is Christopher Lloyd's character. He sees him and he kind of stops him. We find out just how powerful this character is. He's pretty much heading the investigation. But one thing that you notice about this character is just like how off he is. There's something yeah. there's something different about this guy. For me, it was really his teeth. Mm-hmm. They put on like I think fake teeth for him, but like
2: there's there's aspects that just looked looked fake. Well, one thing that uh also which I didn't notice before until I read this, and then I when I watched it, I noticed it. He doesn't blink. <laughs> Anytime you see his eyes, he literally doesn't blink.
1: Which isn't often because he does have those dark circular shades on a lot of the time. But, yes. yeah. Uh that, that adds to the sort of off-putting nature, certainly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Judge Doom by Christopher Lloyd, a really creepy-ass character, and that really solidifies when he picks up this Toon shoe, and he introduces us all to this concoction called The Dip. What's that?
1: Remember how I always thought there wasn't a way to kill a Toon? Well, Doom found the way. Turpentine, <laughs> acetone, benzene. He calls it The Dip. I'll catch the rabbit, Mr. Valiant. Then I'll try him, convict him, and execute him.
0: I remember it being creepy and scary, and it is. It is. It kills a tune by dipping it in this acid, basically, and it just melts a tune. It is. uh, He is not a nice man because he kills a shoe pretty much right off camera.
2: (laughs) And that that dip is made out of turpentine, acetone, and benzene. Which are all paint thinners that were used to remove paint from uh, animation cells.
0: (laughs) Oh, so that makes sense. How funny is that? Yeah. Yeah,
1: I totally didn't get that as a kid, but when I heard it this time, I was like, oh, I see what they did there.
0: We then get back to Eddie Valiant's apartment. His pi place and the baby from the beginning scene is there for a visit and here is a scene that's really only important because we learn about the will we learn about acme's will where he promised to give
2: toontown to the toons he does a joke that i never would have got as a kid but i found totally hilarious now i forget what leads into the joke but the joke is try having a 50 year old lust with a three-year-old dinky (laughs)
0: Yeah. I definitely caught that one this time too. So Valiant hears about the will and then he kind of stumbles upon seeing it in a newspaper picture. It was in Acme's pocket and he goes to take a sleep basically. He's going to take a rest and then trying to figure some stuff out. And as he pulls down his bed we see some feet in his bed who else is in there with him but roger rabbit is hiding in his bed who is obviously hiding from the law right now because people are assuming he killed acme
2: a joke that gets kind of brushed over a lot is that it's a murphy bed so he had to pull it down (laughs) which means roger rabbit was in there upside down the whole in the murphy band the whole time exactly
0: and another little subtle joke which I thought was great was Roger just kind of goes on a tangent about him trying to find where Eddie Valiant lived and he says I asked the postman they didn't know I asked the whoever didn't know and then I asked the liquor store owner and he knew he knew and
1: yeah, that's something I hadn't caught before. Either. That's so good. And this just reminded me about Roger Rabbit from some of that behind the scenesy stuff I saw, which is fascinating. That guy, I can't remember his name, but the guy that voiced him, he would insist on being on set even though he was, you know, going to do a, a, all his voicing and ADR later, and they'd probably want him there anyways to be playing the lines off of Hoskins. He would be on set dressed up in a Roger Rabbit costume. <laughs> it's bizarre. You 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 have to look up photos of it because it's like, he, hey, we didn't make him do that. It, it just, helps him you know so funny yeah it was a little nutty yeah method actors are weird
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah roger is there to try and get some help from valiant because the valiant brothers pi firm is one that tuned they used to help tunes back in the day until obviously one tune killed his brother and so valiant now hates tunes but it obviously kind of also adds that you know they were a reputable source they were a reputable team and company back in the day so it just adds that eddie used to be a good guy and then he's kind of fallen on hard times and he's not but there's there's still that in him that could hopefully come out someday
1: well and speaking of the name doom how great is the name valiant like that's also great uh, hanging a lampshade on it type stuff there because like it just tells you right away who he is deep in his heart you know it's cool
0: yeah so roger is there to get the help and he does so by basically forcing it upon eddie by handcuffing himself to eddie and the weasels show up which the weasels are kind of the henchmen of judge doom they're the ones who sniff out
1: anybody that he needs to find they're so sick when you think about it because they're they're contributing to like the the mass genocide of toons yeah but they don't care they get they're getting paid you know whatever the boss says you know all that stuff yeah it's
0: definitely strange no i mean them watching him kill toons and them helping kill toons <laughs> yeah <laughs> So the weasels come into the apartment, searching for Roger. Uh, there's a kind of just funny slapsticky moments of Eddie hiding him in the sink while he's doing his laundry to help hide the smell of Roger as well with his dirty laundry. Some funny jokes, things that you get as an adult that you didn't before, like the probate versus prostate joke. <laughs> uh, you two yeah. are both older than me, so you probably have to pr- deal with those problems more than I do. Oof, coming up. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. (laughs) So they go to Dolores and the bar and kind of like this back room of the bar that was used for Prohibition era. I can't remember what they called it. It wasn't it wasn't a speakeasy, but it was a uh, just like a rum running room. I think it was maybe they called it, but something that's just like a, a Prohibition hiding room. That's where they go to get the handcuffs off. Funny slapstick moment where Roger can just slip out of the cuffs at any point. Some fantastic humor there.
1: And, and he said, you could get out of those the whole time? He said, not the yeah. whole time, only when it was funny.
0: Yes, that's a great line. <laughs> like, as if
1: that's an actual rule for a tune. Yeah, I love that.
0: yeah, yeah they, exactly. They set that up uh, as, as, as a rule for tunes, which is fantastic. So they leave Roger at the bar and cut to Eddie's apartment. And who comes in but Jessica Rabbit. And she's uh, she's got maybe the best line in the entire movie.
1: You've got me all wrong. You don't know how hard it is being a woman looking the way I do. Yeah,
2: well, you don't know how hard it is being a man
1: looking at a woman looking the way you do. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way.
0: It's a fantastic line.
1: And it it works into the noir feel so much. Mm -hmm. That that was an instant, like, we're going to remember this forever. Cinema history. (laughs) She also
0: wants help because, you know, she wants to find Roger. And she wants to also show that everything is fine because she knows he wouldn't be the killer. But at this moment, it's really hard to tell if Jessica Rabbit is good or not. They do a great job of just, like, setting up that it's possibly her Like, is she evil? Is she the one who said who did this killing and is setting up her husband and doing all this stuff because they give enough like moments where she gives eye looks or she just happens to kind of be in the back of frame or stuff where it's just like, oh, she's giving me some doubts of her quality and her truthfulness,
1: her intentions. Yeah, she's got good complexity there. And she's obviously intelligent as well, which is great to play off of, you know, her being a knockout. So I thought that was really well pulled off.
0: Yeah, a lot of layers going on with different characters.
1: Uh, We find out that there's this company called Cloverleaf
0: that is just buying up everything. They're buying up the streetcars. They were also trying to buy up Toontown. They have the highest bid for that.
2: A funny little thing about Cloverleaf. So the writers who wrote the movie used an idea that was stolen from a Chinatown sequel that never got made. Whoa. And the name of the movie was going to be called Cloverleaf. In turn, the whole thing about this company buying up public transportation in order to get rid of it is based on something that actually happened in L.A.,
0: Wow, that makes a lot of sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you
1: like when you watch this movie and you really go through the story and the intrigue and the Mister X and the machinations, it feels like fucking Chinatown. Like it's got like it. It's really based on a solid fucking concept. So that that makes so much sense. I love that. Yeah, and
0: yeah, I'm also very glad they didn't make a Chinatown sequel. Uh, <laughs> a classic movie that doesn't need it.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone everyone wins. We don't get yeah. that, but we got this. <laughs> right. Yay. Yes.
0: So Eddie and Dolores had. Back to the bar, and instead of hiding, Roger is out singing and dancing and going crazy, making everybody laugh at the bar.
1: Which comes around to speaking to like this this awesome I don't know like like hidden theme or or message to the movie, which is laughter is so important. You know, it's like oh wow, I love that.
0: It's like there's also an inner drive with all tunes that they they have to make people laugh, and nothing is better than making someone laugh.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's there's no downside. Judge Doom shows
0: up, and he's offering a reward. He's trying, he knows the rabbit is around the area. Doom is trying to weed him out. He does this whole thing with the tapping and the the shave and a haircut, which I'd never heard of it as shave and a haircut, but I've heard that tune where it's...
2: No tune can resist the old shave and a haircut.
1: No, i you. are
2: doomed.
1: Raj. No.
2: Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> exactly, you've got to do it. You've got yeah. to finish it.
1: But more than that, too, a tune has to. <laughs> a tune Apparently. has to, you yes, know, because it's yeah. just—it's part of that shtick, you know, yes. which is clever.
0: Valiant does a. Very smart thing by handing him a drink before Doom was gonna put him in the dip, and as we saw before, Roger flips out and goes nuts after he has the alcohol, and basically Eddie Valiant uses that as a distraction to get everyone out of there.
1: Yes, super clever for them to introduce that uh that mechanic, you know, earlier on, and then just to use it when they're in a tight spot later. You know, it's a uh, Chekhov's drink. You know, there's not a lot of stuff in this film that
0: doesn't get a payoff. You do. There's a lot of really good setup. And then you see it again later. It's not just
1: structured very well. Mm -hmm.
0: It is like the writing is really strong. They escape via cab, a toon cab. And we get a little car chase scene. Some funny toony moments happen. Uh, Nothing too crazy, but they kind of get out of that. Uh, We then cut to a classic Goofy cartoon. And we see that they're hiding out in a movie theater then is where we hear the story of eddie valiant's brother's death so it's kind of a a slow point in the film to an extent they've they've gotten away from doom for this moment and we're getting a little bit more characterization on eddie valiant and just his backstory
1: i also like that roger's like a goofy fan he's like ah nobody takes him better than him you know that kind of thing yeah yeah (laughs) he's like a rock star among tunes yeah (laughs) yeah which he would be we learn that the killer
0: of valiant's brother had red eyes and a squeaky voice and he got away So all of that probably adds to the hatred of Toons and the fact that Eddie couldn't solve that case and couldn't capture the person that killed his brother um, just kind of led to his downfall. Here we kind of see that there is a solid relationship between Dolores and Eddie. There's a lot of respect and a lot of probably love between the two of them that has had some issues and probably his alcoholism has ruined any actual relationship that they would have. But we kind of see seeds of that kind of coming back a little bit right here in the theater.
1: Yeah, and the, the way it's portrayed is really good in the way that it's, I don't know, an, an unconventional just portrayal of, I don't know, adults, older people mm-hmm. that have history, and obviously there was romance at one point, but now they're in a weird middle place and they never went to, you know, that that idea of getting married, but you know, there's still a spark there, you know, it's, it's cool. Yeah,
0: it's a very real relationship, which is nice. In a movie that's chock full of slapstick and literal tunes running around, <laughs> this is a relationship that has its peaks and valleys and it, it does feel like a legitimate real-world relationship that could have happened.
1: Feels natural.
0: We have a news reel that pops up in the theater. Things are starting to come together with the Cloverleaf now is buying maroon cartoons. And they're starting to see these ties all together where Valiant is now realizing he needs to go investigate Cloverleaf, what this company is doing to buy up everything, it seems. At the same moment where we're checking that out, we see someone knock out Roger. It is... Jessica Rabbit, who just this this little scene of just her knocking him out and kind of running around and whatnot really just helps emphasize it's another moment of what are her intentions? What is going on with Jessica Rabbit? Yeah,
1: which has getting ahead a little, has a great payoff of, you know, I knocked him out so that he wouldn't get hurt. It's like, makes perfect sense. Yeah,
0: love that line. <laughs> Valiant is... Uh, then going to Maroon Cartoons to try and get a confession out of him of what's going on or just get some information, who at this moment gets killed by a gun. And we can't tell who it was. We see Jessica Rabbit there. We see her running around. It's very possible that she she shot the gun. It was edited in a way that it could have been anybody, but to us it seemed very plausible that it was Jessica Rabbit. He's trying to catch her, and we're going to a car chase, basically, and he's being led to Toontown. So now... The place that Valiant hates the most he has to overcome and deal with all of his demons by going into a, the world of Toontown.
1: Which is so funny because he has so much reluctance to that and it's like oh okay I guess I'm doing this and then it's just the happiest brightest shiniest place to yes. are, you know?
2: well, yeah. And you get a great little moment right before he goes in where he kind of you can tell he's got the resolve he's going to go in and he pulls out obviously his old revolver which is an animated revolver and his six animated bullets which are old. Old, old Westy, old West type <laughs> yeah. sounding guys, and and a kind of a great moment where he he's about to take a chug of whiskey or something, and kind of looks at it and is like, I don't need this, and tosses yeah. it up.
1: Overcoming and- his demons.
2: This is really a turning
0: point for
2: Eddie Valiant. Exactly,
0: he kind of pulls out his old revolver. He's back on this toon case kind of thing, and he's pouring out the whiskey as opposed to chugging it and going through Toontown to deal with his problems. He's dealing with his problems sober. Yeah, we're actually really getting a change in Valiant right here. Is kind of where we're seeing it,
1: and it's cool. These moments that harken back to who he used to be, because him and his brother loved tunes and Toontown and, and comedy and and that whole lifestyle, and they would run the beat there. And you know, him returning to it is oof, you know bringing up all this stuff, and it's hard for him. So it's yeah, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, so we get into Toontown as like you said, it's. Just just ridiculously happy and just insane when you get there a musical number
1: is just happening across the landscape
0: as a kid i think probably toontown would have seemed like a cool place as an adult toontown seems like utter fucking chaos (laughs) and i wouldn't want to be there at all but we get a lot of fun fun moments for people who love cartoons where you see tons of different characters the laws of physics not only for cartoons but also the laws of physics for humans don't
1: apply in toontown which is i thought was very weird it it is weird. It's fun, you know, mm-hmm. but they of course don't get in the weeds as to why that's a thing, you know, because he he gets flattened against the uh, the bottom of the elevator when Droopy is is doing his thing. Yeah, and and it's like, oh, that's cool, but why? You know, but and it almost makes you think like, well, how is he able to, you know, kill his brother if these you know things take effect but maybe that happened just outside I don't know it's it's best not to overthink that aspect, I guess but it is fun to see it play out
0: yeah some funny slapsticky moments where he thought he saw Jessica Rabbit but it turns out to be you know a cartoon bait and switch with a very hideous looking girl instead (laughs) who is obviously madly in love with him for some reason
1: yeah a man crazy ugly woman that that felt a little off but it was like okay you know I'll go with the gag Um,
0: So uh, just some, yeah, slapsticky moments there. You get Mickey and Bugs together as they're parachuting down. He falls off this tower, basically. We get the shared screen time between the two biggest stars of Warner Brothers and Disney. One thing
1: about that moment, if I may, just from that same stuff I was watching, another stipulation of being able to put... Mickey, in there, w- was that the higher ups said that he could not, you know, lead to Eddie's downfall. You know, he couldn't be the one to hand him the spare. Instead, that oh, you know, ends, that ends bugs. up being Bugs, who, you know, ain't I a stinker? You know, he's he's the mischievous one. You can, you. It's can, much
2: more of a thing Bugs would do than something Mickey exactly. would do. Exactly,
1: it's more in character. They didn't want to tarnish, you know, the good reputation of good old Mickey Mouse. Which yeah, it just makes more sense story wise anyway. But I I thought that was funny. We then get Judge Doom. He tries
2: to kill Valiant. First you see, he goes down a hallway and you see Jessica Rabbit on the other end. and She's pointing a gun at him. Yes. And then as as it looks like you think that she's about to shoot him, she goes, Eddie, watch out. And she shoots. You kind of get this moment where she goes, it was Judge Doom. And you hear him like running away, which is, he run, he runs away in the funniest looking run you've ever seen.
0: Yeah, it's a very <laughs> off run like it kind of makes you feel like something's not natural it's
2: moments like that that feel like they're hinting yeah
1: that exactly what the reveal along those same lines in the bar when eddie causes the diversion to get out with the you know giving roger the drink he also knocks over the barrel of dip and you can visibly see doom backing away you know concerned from it and it's like oh there's another you know nod to, to what's to come yeah
0: exactly so they're just they're peppering that in there for some kind of payoff later so we find out yes it was not Jessica Rabbit, she is good. It was Doom. He's the bad guy. Here we get the line that Jessica says about the hitting in the frying pan so he wouldn't get hurt. Uh, Just love, that's a fantastic line. So they get into Benny the Cab. Jessica Rabbit and Valiant get into Benny the Cab to go chase down Doom. They kind of get back into the real world. Doom pours dip all over the road, which causes them to crash. And this is one of the most controversial uh, set of frames in
1: (laughs) all of
0: cartoon history. Oh, those
1: cartoonist rascals and those Easter eggs they put in.
0: Yep, where Jessica Rabbit flies out of the car that crashed, the way she spins and her dress. It's not, I don't believe it was in my version because I I own the Blu-ray and I think they probably fixed it by the time it came out in Blu-ray, but uh, legend has it that (laughs) originally they had it so you could get a flash of in-between Jessica Rabbit's legs as just for like a frame as she's flying through the air. My
2: understanding was that it was only in the first release of the VHS and then they fixed and then they fixed it after that.
0: Okay. But it did make it
2: to
1: homes. That's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. I sh- I sh- certainly didn't go frame by frame watching it this time
1: to see if <laughs> no, it was in. No, of course not. No, no, not at all. Of course not.
2: <laughs> Disney kind of has a reputation of throwing stuff like that in. I mean, we owned a VHS of The Little Mermaid with the giant dildo on the castle in the front. Yeah. Indeed. A lot of people had that one. I'm sure after a while the animators just get bored.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, sure. It's like, I want to put something crude in here. Damn it. <laughs>
0: So they've crashed. Doom and the weasels take them back to where Acme died. Some more little slapsticky humor with one of the weasels, I think, reaches in Jessica Rabbit's chest. He gets (laughs) snapped by these, you know, metal jaws. And Eddie Valiant says, oh, nice booby trap. Hilarious. Hey-oh. Very good. (laughs) So yeah, so they're taken away. Roger finds Benny Cab. We then find out that Judge Doom is the sole owner of Cloverleaf. So now it's all tying in together where his entire plan is to kill Toontown and create a massive freeway for LA to use and he's buying up toontown because of it and he's going to kill it he's buying up this the streetcars he's going to destroy that system this entire idea which for a kid this kind of I know this went way over my head I just didn't even yeah. pay attention yeah. like this doesn't make any sense who cares about this storyline honestly but like as an adult and as an LA resident I'm just like oh you're talking about a world of nothing but freeways <laughs> and things like, and, and it's just a, a transportation metropolis and I'm just like that is yeah that, that sounds it's like they're doing just an inside joke for about LA for sure
1: right and and I mean yeah as a kid you go okay generic villain plan whatever mm-hmm. but then as an adult you go oh that that just sort of ends up happening anyway <laughs> it's a legitimate commentary
0: on what LA has become yeah, yeah. so Roger comes in okay
1: nobody moves grab some sky and i let the judge have it you heard me i said drop it run die. yes it's me my dearest i'd love to embrace but first i have to satisfy my sense of moral outrage come down you butt toothed. Ooh. That's it, Doom. Give me another excuse to pump you full of lead. You thought you could get away with it, didn't you? Ha! Ah, we Toons may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. We demand justice. Why, the real meaning of the word probably hits you like a ton of bricks.
0: Roger! Some more slapsticky moments. <laughs> what I like about that one part is he gets the bricks dropped on him, and then he's seeing stars, which was the first thing that he had he couldn't do at the very beginning of the film. So again, I'm ready, Raúl. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a-, a lot of those setups that you get payoffs later. There's not really wasted jokes here, or there's not really wasted setups. So that's what's fantastic. So because Roger fumbles that, uh, he gets tied up with Jessica, and the weasels have this. Big dip shooter basically pointed at them. We see some some interesting moments of doom slips on something and the weasels start laughing and there's this reoccurring line of you're going to laugh yourself to death.
1: We're like, okay, what's what's going on with that? I think he even references their idiot hyena cousins or something. Yes, like exactly. That. Their idiot yeah, hyena yeah.
0: cousins. Exa- another another little moment that kind of keeps coming back. They had those jokes and those lines come up, and they, it comes back to us later. After hearing that line, Valiant gets an idea, and this gruff asshole that we've seen all film now starts doing a song and dance.
2: Now Roger is his name, laughter is his king. Come on, you dope and tires, bro, and watch him go insane.
1: This is another one of those moments where it's like, well, this is probably more in tune with the man he used to be, so he's just trudging this back up, you know, for the purpose right now, yeah. We're
0: kind of getting the old Valiant back, apparently, and he's basically making hes making the weasels laugh themselves to death, and that's exactly what they literally are doing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which was yeah pretty disturbing to me as a kid. I was like is that a thing, like, Jesus. But this whole sequence is the most burned into my head from a kid. I found I found it all super fascinating. This climax, especially the the reveal we're, we're about to discuss.
0: Yeah, there's kind of this back and forth with the dip shooter, and it's kind of going close to Roger and Jessica, and then back, and then closer, and then and then farther away, uh, just because like they're hitting the levers on the big machine that's shooting it doom comes in he's planning to trying to kill valiant he's got a sword within his cane uh another slap fun sticky moment where valiant pulls out a singing sword (laughs) and it's frank good old frankie they get a steamroller going. It's just kind of like, I can't remember how it gets started, but the steamroller just starts, starts just one of
1: those during, during the fight things. There's all sorts of stuff just flying around boxes and, and hitting levers and all this. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. It's utter madness. But in that madness, doom runs his hand through a big tub of glue. And then he's trying to hit valiant and he hits the steamroller. And so his hand and he's stuck on the ground also for more glue. He's now getting stuck to the steamroller, which is coming to him. Him very slowly valiant ends up pulling the levers to save jessica and roger so they're safe and then we cut to christopher lloyd having this crazy death scene as a steamroller goes over him and honestly he was flying around being very crazy but i bet if a steamroller ran over you you would fly around like that too it, it, it was a
1: it was a creepy ass scene oh yeah, yeah. i mean without knowing what's coming it's harrowing it's like oh this is dark this is
0: awful (laughs) so the steamroller gets over him and he's just flattened he's not squished and blood everywhere uh he is just flattened what the fuck he's a tune. here is the reveal he flattenedly gets himself back up and goes to like a an air tank blows himself back up in a very tuned fashion and his eyeballs pop out his fake eyeballs pop out and what do we see there red eyes just like the eyes of the killer that killed valiant's brother
2: Remember me, Eddie?
0: (laughs) Yeah, his very high squeaky voice. It all comes together that Judge Doom is... All things evil. He's seen he's
1: the only evil tune apparently. This terrified me as a child in an exciting way. Like I I got excited about this scene coming up. Not in the way that uh Gamork scenes would terrify me. You you know, you guys reminded me of that shit and that was <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that'll always be a deep seated fear for the exactly. rest of the Exactly.
0: That's legitimate yeah. fear. This was exactly. just uh, something different.
1: This is like ooh,
2: here it comes. He's got yeah. Valiant on the ground and he's turned his hand into a buzzsaw and he's getting closer and closer. Yeah,
0: yeah. very. That, those shots with the buzzsaw coming at you that they oh, have like a very geez. POV shot. Terrifying. Are, yeah, those are very <laughs>
1: scary. Yeah. And also, like, they don't describe, like, how he works. He can apparently shapeshift into shit, and that's like, what?
2: <laughs> yeah. So Valiant yeah. kind of leans over, grabs the mallet that has a punching glove that comes out of it, and he shoots it, and he misses the judge, and he shoots it again, and it hits a valve. That pours the dip all over the place. Yes,
1: yeah, st- spray straight at him. And so he melts, basically.
0: He pretty much screams everything except for, What a world, what a world, which is what I was expecting. <laughs>
1: verges on it it's, it's yes it's, it's kind of there in my head you know yeah it was that it was, it
0: was the entire time i was expecting yeah. it's like oh it's coming it's coming but yeah he was right there <laughs> yeah and then we've got i think uh, the car busts through the wall and we have all of uh Toontown comes in. uh, They drain the dip uh, with just some water safety system. That's, you know, whatever. They just get that out. So now we know the tunes are going to be safe walking in. But we just get a shit ton of tunes coming in and all figuring out kind of what happened. There's a line of, I wonder who he was. So we never really find out what tune. he was. That's such an
1: interesting, yeah, mystery thing there. It's like, what does that mean? Does it mean it is somebody from classic cartoon lexicon that just went off the rails? Or is it just Mm -hmm. like, there is some mysterious aspect essentially since he was evil could like shapeshift you know all this bizarre stuff about him but yeah I liked that you know giving it a bit of well, I guess we'll never know you know type thing
2: mystery to the end there's a funny joke I, I don't know why I found this funny this time but there's kind of a joke where I forget who says it I think it's Roger said well he, or Bugs Bunny says well I tell you one thing but doc you ain't no rabbit and then they goes or a duck or a this or th-. and then the last one right before they cut back is Sylvester the cat goes he ain't a pussy <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good we
0: then get a shot of valiant and his ink that was sprayed on from marvin acme is now back on him what the fuck uh we find out that it's disappearing reappearing ink and he got him in the end yeah exactly and this all
1: a a joker to the last joker to the
0: last and that ties into the will that acme had which was also uh which we didn't previously mention was this whole love letter that
1: that roger wrote to jessica after he found out about the patty cake right he had written a love letter instead of going out and killing acme like that's you know that's what a softy he is that was his you know you know attempt to make things right and that becomes a thing that like just follows through you you keep seeing it and it's always around and so at the end it's like oh the thing they've been looking for all along was under their nose the whole time Mm -hmm.
0: and so yeah eddie did have it because he was the one who had that love letter he was holding on to it faking that he didn't have the will but he actually did have the will
1: Uh, and so it's on that reappear
0: the disappearing, reappearing ink, which has now reappeared, and it's the will that Toontown is for the tunes now. Yay. Everything everything wraps up in a nice little bow, but you get, yeah, all those moments all tie in. Kind of it ends with this song. Aww. This movie has fantastic writing, great acting, particularly knowing that they were just bouncing off of, you know, nobody at the time, which now is so normal for actors to bounce off of just a tennis ball on a stick that's a dragon or whatever at that time. It did a great job. Yeah,
1: in those days, that was a lot to ask, you know, of, of an actor is to go, Okay, so there's like a three foot tall rabbit here that you're holding that you're holding his neck in your hand. It's like uh okay. Yeah, and just look at him and talk. It's like okay. So it's you know, they They did it incredibly.
0: I think when it comes down to it, this film is, I think what makes it last the test of time is it's a really good crime story. Oh, yeah. There are tons of bait and switches. There are tons of setups and payoffs. It's just, it's really well written. It's just a really strong story. And if you did it with humans and no tunes, it would still be a good movie, but elevating it through that technology of putting in the cartoons makes it an instant classic, really.
1: I agree. I mean, it, it would still be an amazing crime story, you know, old-fashioned and all that, but it just puts this whole other level to it, obviously, with the gimmick. And, uh, like I said, I just, it, this reminded me of just how much appreciation I have for this. And, now being an adult and, like, a a, a fan of cinema, yeah, acknowledging all those things that you were saying is, is incredible. To know that I was justified in really appreciating it as a Kid, you know, and Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd, just incredible. You know, yeah. it made me sad to realize that that we'd lost, you know, Hoskins a few years ago. But but he's really great here. And then Christopher Lloyd, some of my favorite roles of all time I- is him. But this is really—he's actually got kind of range, you know, because th- this is different than most of the things you see him in, and it's very maniacal and creepy.
0: I mean, when you look at his body of work, though, it is impressive—from one floor of the Cougar's Nest to what most of us know him from the Back to the Future to this film. To I mean, he's done ton- Angels in the Outfield. If you want to go with that, yeah, absolutely. As well, <laughs> but the man has range for yeah, sure. Absolutely, yeah. Totally. And this this is film. It's a great one. A lot of people don't realize it won three Oscars.
1: Was it all technical achievements?
0: Best editing, best sound effects editing, and best visual effects. Yeah, John. What are what kind of final thoughts do you have for us?
2: This movie is is so good. I and I I hadn't watched it in a while, and I wondered if it was going to hold up. It totally does the jokes still land uh, the animation is great even though it's hand-drawn it works within the movie uh, the characters are funny they're interesting they're dynamic the movie just has great rewatchability. every time you watch it you're going to find something new um, and in my mind it'll always be a classic you can't go wrong with Roger Rabbit yeah I agree fantastic film
0: Alright, now we are going to review Doug the... Nickelodeon show that lasted from 1991 to 1994 then Disney bought it and it aired from 96 to 99. It had a movie at the very end of that run in 99 to kind of like cap the series off. I will say I didn't watch any of the Disney ABC version even at the time and I certainly didn't rewatch it now or the movie so for me like that stuff I didn't give a shit about it at that time so I really only care about the 91 to 94 4 version
2: yeah. Did anything stay the same from the Nickelodeon one to the Disney one?
0: Yeah, it had a couple changes. I mean, some things stay the same. Some actors of Constance Shulman, who did the voice of Patty Mayonnaise, and she's also famously Yoga Jones in the Orange is the New Black show that's out right now on Netflix. She still did the, her, her voice moving on to Disney, and I think a couple others, possibly the person who did Skeeter and some other voices. But Billy West, who is the voice of Doug himself, did not continue with the show.
2: Uh, that's reason enough, really, to not watch it anyway in my mind. Yeah.
0: Billy West is, um, is really amazing in the field. Like a lot of us probably know him best as Philip J. Fry in Futurama.
2: Yep. Also did, uh, At a time, he did both Wren and Stimpy, but I think he mostly did Stimpy because I remember the creator Wren Ren and Stimpy did the voice of Ren for a while um, and then Billy West took over both parts, but I think he's always been the voice
0: of Stimpy. You know what, now that you say that, now I'm like hearing Stimpy in my head and I'm like, oh, that's totally Billy West.
2: (laughs) Yeah, even in Futurama, he does, you know, he does Professor Farnsworth, he does Dr. Zoidberg. Those are
0: three of my favorite characters. I know. Particularly Farnsworth and Zoidberg have like the best comedic moments in Futurama. Yeah. And actually, I would much rather just talk about about Futurama than talking about Doug right now <laughs> because <laughs> because I love that show not to say I didn't love Doug but well well let's get let's get into it and then you'll find out what I mean okay I think I was around 11 when Disney bought Doug and kind of revamped it uh, and put it on its show and I, it I was too old I was kind of done with it at that time and so they changed their clothes and the look of the characters to an extent As a lot of people know you know when you do that particularly with a cartoon. It's, it's just it's just off-putting you can't change clothes in a cartoon because then you're like is this even the same character as weird as that sounds like humans you can change clothes all the time but like as a cartoon Bart Simpson always has to have his red shirt and blue shorts or else it's not Bart Simpson
2: it's funny though that you said that uh you were 11 when it came out and you were too old because the original run came out when I was 11. well actually I was, uh. <laughs> I was like 10ish or so but
0: still um maybe not I was too old but like I I guess maybe I was just mentally done with the characters because I had them for three years and then now now. Now they were changing up and they were on a different channel, things like that. So it's just like, yeah, I was kind of kind of moving on from it. Yeah. So those original shows, 91 to 94, uh, were on Nickelodeon and they were a part of basically Nickelodeon's first original content, which included Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy and Doug. Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy both had pretty higher ratings earlier on. And then Doug, I think, eventually kind of caught up and kind of found its, it's home, you know, in its own right. Yeah. The show itself typically is split up between two, like, 10-minute shorts. I feel, like, personally, I feel like that doesn't happen nearly as much nowadays as it used to.
2: Well, I mean, it still happens in, uh, you know, like, Spongebob does that. Okay.
0: Yeah, so I guess it's still around. But, yeah, I feel like that was, that was all the time. But, yeah, so it does get two little shorts each episode. So you kind of get different stories. And each story is based around Doug writing in his journal and him kind of getting entries into his journal. And because of that, you kind of get you kind of get Doug's internal monologue. You'll kind of be in the in, into that story and then he will kind of jump out of it and you'll see what's going on in his imagination. I really equated that to scrubs in my head. Yeah. like How J.D. How JD works with his head and how you, you pop up and the audience follows him to whatever is happening in his head.
2: Yeah. No, you can definitely see the influence in it. The influence of Doug on Scrubs, not the other way around. And similarly,
0: once ABC bought
2: Scrubs, it started sucking really hard. <laughs> huh,
0: and ABC bought Doug and it started sucking really hard.
2: Hmm. What do you notice here? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm noticing a trend. Yeah.
0: But yeah, Doug, it also had this very simple theme song. It just had a very catchy kind of beat. Very simple, but they made a lot of mouth sounds. And I, I kind of like that. Kind of like almost Weinfeld-esque.
2: Yeah, and we kind of like, like like Chicks and Pops and stuff like that, but uh, yes. the melody was easy to hum and easy to whistle pretty much for anyone, so that helps, it makes it very catchy and, and memorable. Definitely.
0: The main characters are Doug, title character. He starts off as the new kid in town, and then you kind of just follow his journal entries, his kind of adventures in the town, basically. You have his best friend Skeeter. Hey, Doug! His love interest, Patty Mayonnaise. Hey,
1: dog! Hurry or we'll miss the show!
0: His bully, Roger.
1: (laughs) Oh, brother, what a goofus! (laughs) You actually fell for the old Mima Toad gag!
0: (laughs) His dog, Porkchop. And then
2: kind of a friend who comes in later, B.B.
0: Yes, we were so wrong for each other.
2: I think Billy West also did the voice of Roger, and honestly, I think he also did Porkchop. Oh,
0: okay. Multi-talented Billy West. The show itself? I honestly didn't really care for it this time around. It was very simple, much kind of like how the animation is very kind of basic and even the drawings aren't too in-depth. The stories themselves were very linear stories, very simple, dealing with regular kids' problems, be it bullying, be it the new kid in town, be it whatever. But there wasn't a lot of depth to it, and I would say rewatching it now is one that it really kind of hurts the show. It's not one that I think holds up and is one that piques my interest as an adult. Like I mentioned in the Gargoyles episode, like I wholeheartedly plan to go back and rewatch every episode of Gargoyles because there's a lot of intensity and actually adult themes and underlying stuff that's happening in that show where this show, you're going from plot point to plot point to plot point and you're not there's no there's no real depth to it at all
2: yeah i mean i agree doug himself is i think he's actually supposed to be like late elementary or or early junior high like five mm-hmm. like fifth or sixth grade something like that yeah yeah and so if you're really kind of aiming towards that kind of audience you can't go too complex especially if if everything else about it is kind of simple so I mean, someone thinks, like, I understand, but I completely agree, like, going back and watching it, it was cute to revisit, but I got nothing out of it.
0: Yeah, I I found myself being pretty bored rewatching the show now. Um, Yeah, I I really didn't get much out of it nowadays, and it's one that I'm glad I had it for its time, but in trying to dissect if it's rewatchable and it can stand the test of time, for me, Doug, not really.
2: Yeah, when we started doing this podcast, we kind of we knew that it was a lot of it was going to be going back and rewatching things and seeing if they still hold up. And and you know what? They're not all going to hold up. Um, and we both kind of had the same thought, the same feeling about Flight of the Navigator. And um. yeah,
0: one thing I would say about Doug, though, even if it was a brand new show for like a kids these days, I feel like they're used to more in-depth storylines and they're used to the different kind of animation that I'm not sure this is a show that even a kid would be feel as strongly as we did.
2: Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, they'd have to change a lot of things for me. You couldn't just transplant it into now mm-hmm. and expect kids to watch it because they just wouldn't.
0: Yeah. That being said, though, it did have some like, you know, there's a lot of nostalgic love that I still did have for it, like seeing Quailman, and I, I still see like Quailman costumes at Comic Cons and stuff. You get things like the Dinks uh, where Mr. Dink is constantly saying, very expensive. All that shit kind of flies back into me uh, rewatching it. You get the beets, the actual beets being a important vegetable for the tech and then also the Beats the band that's kind of a parody of the Beatles the Who etc but they did have some stuff that transcended pop culture and still has a big grasp on pop culture like I think Quail Man but also like the Beats Killer Tofu you play that song for anyone around our age they know it they (laughs) love it fast food
2: feels fuzzy causes my food stuff that's cozy I always thought I was such a nerd I refuse I wouldn't eat it. I think there's more nostalgia maybe for the character than there is for the actual show.
0: Yeah. I would totally agree with that. The show itself was okay, but like the Doug character and some of like those certain characters have a lot of love for him. Yeah. So Doug, it's a a very simple show. I also found it's one that one of those cartoons where the dog seemed to be the smartest character (laughs) in the entire show most of the time. He was always getting Doug out of his problems. But yeah, basic show. It was cute for its time. But for me, leave it in its time and just let it have the nostalgic love for those couple things and move on. And the society has moved on from it. And uh, I do not plan to revisit Doug ever again.
2: Yeah, I pretty I mean, I pretty much agree. It's a shame. Sorry, Doug. All right, so now we're going to do the casting portion, and we decided to do the Marvel team Excalibur, which consists of Captain Britain, Phoenix... But not the Jean Grey Phoenix, daughter of Jean Grey and Scott Summers. His name is Rachel Summers. Megan, who is kind of Captain Britain's love interest, and she's like a shapeshifter. Nightcrawler and Shadowcat, who are both from the X-Men team. Night- uh, Shadowcat, also known as Kitty Pride.
0: Excalibur is almost not really an offshoot of X-Men, but it's got a lot of shared elements to it and a lot of shared characters. And it's obviously like in that
2: universe and, and ties in with them very well. So we just kind of wanted to reimagine or imagine what... a an Excalibur movie would look like. And I don't know, I didn't really give any credence to whether or not this would be Fox Universe or MCU. I guess I kind of imagined Fox since they own it, but I didn't really... Pay attention one way or the other with that. Yeah. So let's dive into it since uh we we're gonna have three lists this time instead of our normal two. And I wanna work backwards. I wanna end with our our, our big main guy. So let's start with uh Shadow Cat. Kitty Pride was played by Ellen Page, but I did kind of kind of wanna recast and, and redo some of this stuff. So why don't we start with our guest? Casey, who did you cast as Shadow Cat?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, like you say, Ellen Page was in there. And this from what we talk about on our podcast, it's hard for me to separate and like create Create a fresh universe in my head. Because I, I love what Ellen Page did uh, as Kitty Pride. If they were to go here, I'd love if they did sort of a Deadpoolish thing and set it in sort of a, a different corner of the X-Men universe and feel like they can do it more current day and if they wanted to bring in Ellen Page so I would love that but one that stuck out to me and this is pretty relevant right now with what just popped up but I thought of this a bit ago I like this Natalia Dyer who is the older sister gal in Stranger Things oh yeah she's good she's really mousy and skinny yeah she she. I, I think she does a great job in that show and I think especially presented a little more confidently could be a great representation of Kitty Pryde
0: I think that's a great call uh, I kind of went similar with a very similar small person i went with someone who i think has done a couple more physical roles recently particularly because shadow cat she's like a ninja she actually has a lot of ninja skills that in the comic universe that people don't really realize and they just know her for phasing but she's a badass and she's a badass fighter so i wanted someone who's had some physical training but i also want someone who's kind of small frame dark hair so i went with daisy ridley who is Rey in current
2: star wars
1: very nice I like that.
2: I guess I kind of went with a similar idea. I didn't give as much to already being able to do a lot of physicality because these days they can kind of train anyone. So I wanted somebody who definitely kind of had the look. And so I went with someone who's on my, actually probably my favorite new TV show, The Orville. Halston Sage. She was in Neighbors, and she was in Paper Towns. I think she was in the Goosebumps movie. But she plays Lieutenant Catan, I think, in the Orville. She's kind of a a short girl. She plays, like, one of the Aliens. Like the security officer. If you look up your picture, I I can definitely see her as a uh, as a shadow cat. Okay. All right. So now let's uh, let's go to a more familiar one, Nightcrawler, which I thought was played pretty well by Alan Cummings in the movie. He was a little bit older than I wanted him to be in the movies, but uh, I thought he did a pretty good job. It helped that X Two was a fantastic film. He did do a really good job. They did a great job of setting up
0: Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler is a massive fan favorite, and he just looks so cool. And they did do a great job with Alan coming. I agree. He, he was strong.
1: Oh, yeah. I love that performance. For
0: this, I'll just go ahead and jump in. I went with someone who... You know, Nightcrawler has a very lean frame to him. I went with someone who might be a little bit thicker, but I know he's got physicality, and he's not all that thick. When you've seen Game of Thrones, you know he's not, like, a huge muscle-bound guy, but he is a physical and well-known for doing very strong fighting. I went with Jacob
2: Anderson, who plays Grey Worm in... Game of Thrones.
1: That's very cool. I like that.
2: You know, I actually think I considered him. He was somebody I looked at. I didn't ultimately go with him, but uh, but I could totally see that. I'll go ahead and go next. Ultimately went with uh, an actor named Max Lloyd-Jones, who I think right now he's on the TV show called Switched at Birth, which is kind of like on an ABC family show, but he played Blue Eyes in War for the Planet of the Apes. So you know he's got that kind of, because he played an ape, he's got that physicality, he can kind of... To get down because notoriously nightcrawler kind of walks on all fours sometimes yeah and he's very lean he's not too tall i think he's like five eight or something like that so he could work really well with it and he's he kind of looks it i mean if you look at him he, he's kind of a. Yeah, i
1: see him here that's pretty good
2: he's kind of handsome looking guy but uh, i think it's a good that's a pretty good call yeah but i thought he would do well all right casey what do you got
1: well let's see this one was the hardest for me for some reason like i would be all about if they went in this direction in the movie universe for, if they wanted to do it present day and they were able to get Alan coming back that'd be rad if they wanted to do it more like in you know the the 90s you know place that they're at right now they could do the Cody Smith McPhee that'd be great but every time I tried to think of someone else I would try to think of the get up and the paint and the prosthetics and it would just start to look so silly in my head although they're always able to pull it out well yeah <laughs> I gotta say that that Jacobs one uh the gray worm is I think is inspired that I really like that the best I could think of because I started going down the German route was the guy that played uh Zemo in Civil War War, which was Daniel Bruhl.
0: Oh, he's a great actor.
1: Yeah, I dig that guy. But I I almost think he might be a little too, I don't know, Nightcrawler's always been one of my favorite characters, and Mm -hmm. he's got to have this lightheartedness about him and his love of swashbuckling and this and that, and maybe this guy could do it, and I haven't seen enough of what he's done, but he he almost seems maybe a little too serious for it. But I still dig it, and he could bring the authenticism, you know, the authentic, you know, German stuff, so yeah, that's what I came up with.
2: All right, so then we'll go to Megan. The least known person who... Who is I'm, Megan, I'm not gonna lie. She, uh, she's in just my head. I
1: always said I always said Magan just because it was a little, little more exotic, you know, the way she looks. It's
2: because it's it's spelled different. It's spelled M E G G O N, but it could be. But maybe I'm just being lazy. Uh, but she's a shapeshifter, and she plays as. I mean, she just kind of looks like a, you know, like a blonde, and
0: yeah, she's very sultry looking blonde when you look up pictures of Magan.
2: Oh yes. <laughs> okay, we'll go that way. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and start with this one. I really mostly bit, went on looks like who I thought could look the part. So I went with uh, Juno Temple.
1: Ooh, very nice.
2: Yeah. Also, it had to be somebody British because she, like Captain Britain, is British, so... Exactly. Uh, I
1: tried to stick to that stuff too.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. So that was my pick was Juno Temple.
1: That's good. And you, you know what's funny is I, I could almost see her as Shadowcat as well. Like, just because yeah. just she's kind of got a smaller frame and kind of mousy. But, but, yeah, no, I dig that. The blonde, it's great.
0: I'll go ahead and go. I think here... For
1: Magan, I picked the only person who is not British in
0: my entire casting. <laughs> she's Australian. I went with Teresa Palmer, who is best known probably from this movie Warm Bodies, but she's been in a couple other things. She was in Hacksaw Ridge recently and some other stuff. She's a very pretty blonde. She's a good actor. I'm a big fan of the movie Warm Bodies and some other stuff out there that she's done. But I think she could pull off like that strong blonde look that Magan has. And as a shapeshifter, you know, you could kind of, you can go a lot of different ways with this Character. So I went with Teresa Palmer.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah, I saw her in, H- in Hacksaw Ridge as well and, and, and very good. I think it fits real well. This was another tough one for me just because, I don't know, I was trying to pull British and things weren't quite feeling right. I ended up going pretty top tier these days and maybe it was just from a couple of the things I had watched uh, recently like uh, Edge of Tomorrow and uh, Sicario but I, I I, thought Emily Blunt could really pull this off. Oh, you know, interesting. She, oh, yeah. She, you know, Very strong leading British female actress gal. I, I think she could be pretty badass.
2: And I could see her being casted. Like, I could see that being as somebody who they would pick.
1: Right. Especially if her and Brian are, like, the two leads, you know?
2: Yeah. That sentence actually kind of leads me into the next character, Phoenix, who is kind of central in how Excalibur formed. So I don't know, in my mind, I always see sort of Phoenix as being the other lead with Captain Britain, other than, than Magon or whatever.
1: I guess I was just thinking about the romantic aspects.
2: Right, right, right. But Rachel Summers was a huge part of Excalibur
0: and kind of kept going back into that team, it seemed, and, and having like other offshoots from it. So,
2: And one thing you do have to kind of say is the Marvel universe in itself is is complicated. Yeah. I believe that Rachel Summers is actually Rachel Summers from a different universe that got pulled in.
1: Yeah, very much like cable. It's all, it's a big mess with the time travel stuff.
2: Casey, I want to hear your pick for this.
1: What's interesting about this one is that Adam uh, already uh, used Daisy Ridley, but she had popped to mind uh, briefly for this one for me. But I think I landed in a place I liked more, which is uh, Alicia Vikander, the gal from Ex Machina and, um... Oh. Uh, okay. She's gonna be the new Laura Croft and all that. But, uh, yeah, you know, she's definitely got physicality about her and a very slender, pointed frame, and uh, yeah, I mean, they'd probably dye her hair up a bit and i think she'd be off to the races maybe those those lines on the side of the face good stuff
2: i'm gonna go and jump in with mine i kind of saw rachel summers as she's very pretty but she's got a hard edge to her Mm -hmm. she's gotta look mean when she when she's gotta look mean
1: she's been through some shit
2: yeah exactly (laughs) so i went with ruby rose
1: That's cool. And she's already got the short hair thing going on. Yeah. I dig that.
2: She's got that, you know, she's got a very, very pretty look, but she's got a, you know, she's got a hard edge look to her when she wants to. It can be tough. Yeah, she does look tough. Yeah. So that was my pick. Dig it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My thought of Rachel Summers basically was if Jean Grey only exclusively shopped at Hot Topic. That's kind of, (laughs) that's kind of how the character.
1: That's good. That's kind of how
0: she looks to me. But yeah, she is kind of like that. Yeah.
1: That's the elevator pitch.
2: Totally. She's
0: like the the harder edge dog of Jean and Scott. So I went with this actress, Imogen Poots, Ooh. who is in Need for Speed. She was in 28 Weeks Later, but I think she's really got that look And she could kind of make her hair a little bit darker, but she would look really good with that short hair. And I think she uh, she maybe it looks a little too much like Elizabeth Olsen uh, (laughs) to an extent being like very Scarlet Witchy. But it's a very still kind of similar character with some of like the not not the same powers, obviously, but similar enough powers that how you would portray it on screen. Uh, But yeah, Imogen Poots was my
1: call. I like that.
2: All right. So now let's go on to our our main man. Oh, you're my main <laughs> man, John. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the what's going to be the lead, the face of Excalibur, Captain Britain, who was created specifically because Marvel wanted to increase their international sales. And so they wanted to mm-hmm. bring in someone else. So they created uh, Captain Britain. Adam, let's start with you on this one.
0: Sure. So I obviously wanted someone from England. So I was looking through different English actors and I th- I'm going to throw out just a couple names who are on my shortlist. The first person I thought of was like someone like a Jason Statham, but he's a little too, huh. he's older than Ooh. I would want. He had the look. He's gruff. Maybe like, yeah, he's very gruff. He is very gruff. Maybe like when he was first. Popped in with Transporter. He might have been a good call, but not nowadays. And then I thought possibly someone like Henry Cavill, who is our Superman oh, right now, because he's British and he's got the build for it and whatnot. I even thought of Richard Madden, who was...
1: Rob Stark. That was on my short list, too. Mine, too. <laughs> oh, how funny. I really <laughs>
0: liked Richard Madden. I almost went with him.
1: Maybe unofficially, that's the winner, since we thought, all thought yeah, of him. Yeah, it,
0: it could, <laughs> could be. <laughs> I officially went with an actor named Theo James who was in the Divergent series. Uh, he's from Oxford, England and I think he just he could have the look as needed. And uh, He's done some action
2: stuff with the Divergent series.
1: That's very believable. I could I could see them picking him. Yeah,
2: I'll go ahead and jump in. I'll, I'll let Casey have the last word on this one. I wrote down when I first thought of it, I wrote down a couple names of people who just kind of immediately came to my mind. One of them in particular stayed on the list the whole time and I kind of like, I almost thought he was too obvious or what, and it's actually someone you already mentioned. I went with Henry Cavill. Okay. Nice. Because he looks it. I mean, you blonde up his hair a little bit, but he, he already looks like
1: Well, yeah, strong jawed, you know, ready for action. Exactly.
2: So that's who I went with.
1: Nice. I really, yeah, had to rack my brain over this one because uh, I, 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 you know, knowing it's the leading man and the leader of the team, you, you really want to hit the right note. Yeah, like I said, the Rob Stark guy came up for me in my head, mm-hmm. and I thought about Orlando Bloom, but he's maybe just a bit, you know, slender, maybe not, you know, substantial enough, right? Yeah. Uh, for for something like that. So two guys I liked the most are are already Marvel men, but in in different in different universes. Uh, well, technically, I suppose but I thought of Dan Stevens... I, th- I think he could step into that pretty well you know he's you know the beast from from Beauty and the Beast and mm-hmm. he's uh, you know in Legion that's how he's he's got the Marvel connection which you never know they might more closely tie that to the movie universe in season two but um I also really liked Lee Pace oh. of in the Hobbit movies he's one of the main elves there he's Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy but he's caked in makeup uh, but he's also on like Halt and Catch Fire. he was in Pushing Daisies and he's a really he's a really strong leading man and he's got uh, I think some real acting gravity. And if he did the right kind of thing acting wise, I think he could really step into those shoes well. So that's who I liked the most.
0: I'm going to say that was an okay call. I don't love that one. I'm going to throw that out there. (laughs) You know what? We've all all been really nice to each other. I think that was only an okay call, Casey.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. But yeah, that that other pool of them, I think Dan Stevens could do well as well. So, you know, I I was playing around, but uh, either one.
2: Okay, cool. And that's our casting for Excalibur.
1: Casey, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a pleasure and thank you so much for having me on and uh, either of y'all are interested in stopping by on our cast someday, maybe we can uh, work something like that out.
0: Absolutely. Please join us next time for our Holiday Spectacular where we review Home Alone, we recast Home Alone, and we also review the 1964 stop-motion TV holiday special Rudolph the Red-Nosed
2: Reindeer. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at, at blastpastcast, that's at blast past cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.